Matthew chapter 2. We're looking at the sacrifice of biblical worship. We're going to read verse 1 and 2, skip down to verse 9. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Verse 9. When they heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star, which they saw in the east, went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they, star, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened the treasures, they presented unto him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Anybody here ever heard this story before? Yes. Every Christmas we refer to it almost always. And that's not our point in this particular series. We're looking at the theme of worship. We spent a couple of weeks, about a month or so ago, in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 26, uh, where God instituted uh, the Feast of the First Fruits. And he told Israel, when you get to the land, you're to bring me an offering, a, a sacrifice of worship, if you will. And so right away we learn in the Word of God that worship involves sacrifice. It involves giving. And here in Matthew 2, that theme continues. Because what they did, they came and they worshiped the Savior and they did it through giving. And that's exactly what God wants from us today. Worship involves giving of ourselves and time sacrificing something for God. We're looking at, we begin looking at the characteristics of their worship. And I think it ought to be true in our own lives whenever we worship God. Now, by the way, I am so thankful that you are faithful to God's house. Uh, and I'm convinced that uh, it is a special time of worship that you can't do anywhere else. But you can worship at home by yourself. And I encourage that. And if all you ever do is worship on Sunday, change your habit, okay? Worship every day of the week. Because worship is personal, but it also comes together in a place like this as we gather together and we worship together. It encourages us on our walk with God. And it also encourages us to say, you know what? Corporately, we came for one purpose, and that's to give to God. Worship is simply giving. To kind of review a little bit, we're not going to spend a lot of time. In verse 2, we found out that worship was intentional. Ours should be intentional as well. When we come to the Lord's house, we ought to come with one purpose, and that's to worship Him. Worship Him. Second of all, in verse 2, uh, the worship was volitional. And that means it was of their, their own choice, their own will. Nobody made them. And our worship ought to be volitional as well. We ought to want to do that. For the Lord. The third thing, it was personal in verse, in verse 11 of Matthew 2. And our worship has to be personal. Now, I can only speak for myself because I realize as we worship, we have, you know, especially um, privately, a lot of time when I begin to think about what God has done for me, 
I can't help but worship. Uh, most of you know that I send out a prayer every morning and uh, text one out. Got quite a few people who have asked for that. But most of that prayer comes from my daily Bible readings. I'm reading the Bible. God will speak to my heart about something. And I can't help but break out in praise and worship to him as I read his word. And my friend, that makes a difference in our lives. It has to be personal. The fourth thing we looked at last week in verse 3, uh, it was confrontational. And again, it caused problems in Jerusalem. Herod was upset about it. The people were. And the worship of God ought to fill our heart. Uh, when we give our, our place unreserved, our worship unreserved, when our worship is wholehearted, we will offend some people. But my friend, please don't forget who we worship is real. And again, we don't mean to be offensive. But when, our, when we are whole dedicated to the Lord, not everyone understands why we love him like we do. The fifth thing we talked about in verse 10 and 11, that worship was emotional. <clears throat> they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when God's worship fills our heart, we can't help but rejoice. It, it's a natural outflow. And listen to me, folks. <clears throat> we live in a broken world. You know that. <clears throat> but I think one of the best things that we can show to our world <clears throat> is the joy that knowing Christ brings into our life. And one of the ways we do that is through worship. The sixth thing in verses 3 through 8 and verse 11 and 12, their worship was effectual. It touched the world around them. Think about that. It touched the world around them. And our worship ought to touch the world around us. And, you know, if, if, if you're like me, I'm, I'm so tired of this commercialism of Christmas, but the bottom line is this. We ought to show the world the real reason. By the way, we begin Advent next week, and our theme this year is the heart of Christmas. And the heart of Christmas is the one that Jesse sang about this morning, that sweet little Jesus boy, the one who was born in the manger so many years ago. And I'm convinced that whenever our worship is genuine, the world will, will notice that. Now, I realize that it will drive some away, but we have... No idea, of, no way of knowing how many people it will touch, but it will draw them to Christ. They begin to think about things or whatever it might be. And I also think that worship affects us. Because what worship does, it draws us deeper into his worship. And there's nothing better than that. And as we worship him in spirit and truth, we're going to find ourselves continually becoming more and more like him. And that's God's goal for our life anyway. Number seven, we didn't talk about this one yet. The worship was relational. Look at verse two again. Saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Verse nine. And when they had heard the king, they departed and lo. The star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. 
when we speak of our worship being relational, these wise men from the east, these magi, their worship was guided by God, and it had to be based, and it was based, on their relationship with Him. And I want to tell you, you cannot worship unless you have a relationship with God. And the deeper our relationship with God is, the deeper and more meaningful our worship is going to be. They gave him worship because they were walking with him. There's no other way to explain this. Now, I realize we're not given all the details. But why would they come if they didn't first have a relation with God? It had to be there. They gave him worship because they were following God's plan. We have seen his star in the east. And they gave him worship simply out of obedience to God. They followed him to the place where the Christ child was born. I have learned through the years, and so have you, that anyone can sing at least halfway. Anyone can shout and testify. Anyone can give fleshly worship. But only a believer who has an intimate, vital, love relationship with Christ, can give him pure, perfect worship. Because you open your heart to God. Only one, the one who gives complete obedience to God, who walks in obedience to his word, that person, not only can they, they will Give God the worship he desires. It was intentional, volitional, personal, confrontational, emotional, effectual, relational. And I I have no doubt that their worship with all of these and much more. But I think the most important thing the worship was sacrificial. It was sacrificial. When these wise men came, including their journey, they didn't worship on the cheap side. They gave him the best they had. Their worship cost them something. And my friend, worship always does. Number one, it cost them their time. Verse two, saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Now again, God doesn't give us all the details because if he thought we needed them, he'd give them. I realize that. But it was based on the significance of that star is why they traveled. It's exactly why they traveled thousands of miles searching for the one 
who had been born king of the Jews. Now again, we can only surmise here, but I think it's clear they expected that to happen sometime. They believed that somehow, in some way, Messiah was coming. And I want you to realize this would have been a, not just a long journey, it would have been a tedious, dangerous journey as well. And it would have taken several months to complete that journey. It would have been very expensive. It required a lot of time away from home and family. It was a dangerous journey. Filled with danger and trouble. But they made the trip. Because they believed that worshiping the Christ child was worthy of it. No matter what it costs. And genuine worship is costly even today in time. Now the good news is, most of us can be at church in a few minutes. It doesn't take us long to get here. It's not a long journey to get this way. Now, if you come to all the worship services, we're going to be here four to five hours a week. And I realize that not everybody does that. And I must confess, I don't understand why. I I give my first pastor a little bit of credit for that. He'd always tell us, come often, come early, and stay late. And he meant it. There's nothing like coming together with God's people in worship. And a lot of folks only give him an hour or so a week. And a lot of times, and we've all been guilty of this, we go to church and we don't really worship sometimes. We just go through the motions and we've all been guilty of that. But the bottom line is worship is simply not the time it takes to drive here. It's not the time it takes to just sit here passively while the service goes on. Real worship is an investment in how we live our lives every day. Every day. It takes time to pray. It takes time to seek the Lord's face. It takes time to deal with the sin in our life. And my friend, it takes time to prepare our hearts for worship. You can't just come to church and Hope it happens. Our heart must be prepared. And that's one of the reasons a lot of folks go to church and never truly worship. They haven't prepared their hearts. They haven't spent time in prayer with God throughout the week. They haven't spent time in the Word of God, reading 
and studying God's Word. They haven't spent time meditating on the good things of God. In fact, they haven't put much of any time at all in preparing to meet the king in his house. These magi did. They prepared. It is impossible for any of us to live out in this wicked world all week, walk in the church, ready to meet him in worship. There has to be time in our lives we have spent preparing for that time. No wonder Solomon said, Ecclesiastes 5, guard your step as you approach the house of God. There has to be time spent in prayer, time in repentance of sin. We have to spend time feeding ourselves, our soul, on the Word of God. But we also need to spend time in private worship. And I also believe whenever we see someone who is truly worshiping in public, I will show you someone who worships privately as well. They have spent time with Jesus. And how many know that makes all the difference in the world? So between now and the next service, I would challenge all of us, give him some time in worship. And if we will, if we do that, it will change the way we worship when we come to his house. Ready to worship the Lord. So it cost them their time. The second thing it cost them was their treasure. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him, but when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. They gave their time and their travel. They prepared themselves to come. And when they come and stand before the Christ child, they give him gifts. And I want to tell you, folks, these were not cheap gifts. They were expensive. They were costly. But it didn't matter. They gave them to Jesus because he was worthy. Just a small child. Now, by this time, they, he wasn't in the manger he was probably about two years old. Preacher, how do you know that? Well, what did Herod make a decree about? Every male child under two years of age was going to be killed. But it didn't matter. They gave this child their gifts. And they didn't put any strings to it. They simply gave to them. They walk into that house. And when they see the Christ, shall they bow down before him. And they open their treasures. And they presented that, those gifts to him. 
Now remember, they had carried those gifts for hundreds of miles. And when they arrived and saw the Christ child, they gave them away. Why? Because they wanted to honor him and worship. Now, I don't know for sure. You know, all the things that Jesus retained of his rights when he came to earth, of what he gave up. But when I think of this from a human standpoint, I'd be thinking, what does that matter? He won't remember that. Now, somehow, I believe he never forgot it, but that's neither here nor there. But to them, it didn't matter. They gave him those treasures and those gifts because they deemed him worthy. That's what worship is really, really ought to be about. And that speaks to my heart today. Because worship is about giving. It's about uh, giving God what he deserves, and he deserves, deserves everything, for what he's done for us. And I want to say tonight, if our attitude is, if we can't give our tithes, our time, and our offering, because we love him, we're better off to keep it ourselves. It ought to be given in an act of worship, not because we have to, but because we love Him. And we have to learn as well from this example of these wise men. When we give to God, there absolutely cannot be any strings attached. Lord, this is yours. I must confess, as a young Christian, it took me a while to learn that. And uh, my, my grandfather always told me I was so tight, I had the first nine cents of the first dime I ever made. And I had to tell him, Grandpa, there's a difference between being tight and being broke. And when I first got saved, I thought, Lord, you know, I was, I was on unemployment. And uh, we were making, I think, $90 a week. This had been in about 1975. And I thought, Lord, surely, you know, you don't expect me to tithe on $90 a week. But then God spoke to my heart. You know what he expected me to do? To tithe on $90 a week. But then I realized, as God blessed us, and we are not wealthy by any means, but we have enough. That's all I need. Sometimes the more you make, when that number is bigger, it's hard to tithe on that too. Amen? You know, Lord, I mean, I gave you $9 a week back then. But now, Lord, I'm making this much. You surely don't need all of that. But that's not why we give. We give because we love Him. It's a principle of the Word of God. And there came a time in my walk with God when I finally realized it's a privilege to give back to God. It is a joy to give to God. And folks, I want to tell you, worship 
when we come to worship, giving is as much a part of worship as anything else we do. And the Bible is clear. We worship Him in a lot of ways, and one way we do it is through our giving. <coughs> and then there was a day, <coughs> excuse me, that I realized the only reason I have anything to give to Him is because He first gave it to me. Amen. He gave it to me. And that's the only reason I can give back to Him. Everything that we have, everything I have, is a gift from our Lord. James 1.17 Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And I want to tell you that tonight, folks, if God can change my heart on this, He can change yours, anybody's. Anybody's heart. We have to determine in our hearts that when it comes to giving, we will not be cheap. As I look at my life and I look back over the years, God has always been extravagant in His love giving to me. Always. And my prayer is, Lord, that I might be as extravagant in my giving to you. But we have to realize we can never outgive God ever. Malachi 3.10 Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. How many know that's a promise of God? It is. It is a promise of God. Now, by the way, if all you expect from God is Financial blessings, I feel sorry for you. God gives so much more than that. So I realize, Lord, I, I can never outgive you, but boy, it sure is fun to try. Second Corinthians 9, verse 6 and 7. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposed in his heart, let him, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Now, I heard, I must have been Chuck Swindoll years ago, and I, and I didn't really check it, should have done that. But he says the Greek really implies a hilarious giver. Be hilarious in your giving. So next Sunday morning, when we take the offering up, just give hilarious, all right? God loves a cheerful giver. Think about that. So I, I get, well, God gives us a choice. We believe in free will, believe it or not, but we do. And so God gives us a choice. 
But I want to warn you tonight, if you choose to be a tightwad, God will reward you accordingly. Amen. Because the Bible teaches me not to lay my treasures up here, down here, but up there. When moths or rust can't bother, will they never decay? So much better. So much better to give everything over to God's hands and use what we have been given for the glory of God. And my friend, no one can take it away. No one. I know at times we always worry about the economy. But my friend, even a downturn of the economy can't affect my treasure in heaven. It's not affected by that. Matthew 16, verse 19 through 21. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. One of the things I like about God's Word is so practical. It really is. It costs them their time, costs them their treasure, but it also costs their testimony. Again, verse 2, saying, We have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Verse 11, When they saw the young child fell down and worshiped him. And again, I'm not trying to discount the fact they gave the treasures their, some of their wealth. They gave financially. But the greatest treasure they gave the Lord that day was themselves. Amen. We read from Paul's letter to the Corinthians a moment ago. And Paul used Macedonia as an example. He said they gave out of their poverty. But Paul also added a sort of a, a comment there. He said, but first of all, they gave themselves to the Lord. And that's the key. They gave themselves. Now let's consider this for just a moment about these magi. And again, all we have in concrete, I guess, is what Matthew chapter 2 says. But think about what had to happen. First of all, these men could not have been ordinary men. And I know that because of the gifts they gave, we have come to think uh, there were only three of them and that they came alone. There is not one piece of evidence to support that. Not one. But think about who these men were. 
Evidently, and from the evidence that we see here, these men represented a priestly class that must have had significant power in the area around ancient Babylon. And we call them magi or wise men, but in Persia, this class of people were identified as king makers. Think about that. Part of their ministry would be to appoint and anoint the kings that ruled in their homelands. So they were powerful men, and they were influential. But also, the evidence points out there had to be more than three of them. How in the world could three men disturb an entire city? And I want to suggest it wasn't just three. They came with an entourage. I mean, it would have been something to see. But not only that, for three men to travel that far by themselves to rough lands, dangerous lands, would have been foolish. Especially carrying the treasures they carried. So that being said, it's very probable that there was a large number of these magi. And very probable they were accompanied by armed guards. No wonder Herod was nervous when they showed up. Now, let's think about this. If it was only three and they were ordinary men, what chances would they have to get an audience before Herod? Slim to none. And so they show up, however many there were, and I'm convinced more than three, they show up with an armed guard and they arrive at the palace and these kingmakers said, we are looking for the king to worship. Implying, Herod, it's not you. It's not you. So these are rich, powerful men. They're influential, influential men. And they stand before Herod and his officers and immediately declare their intention. Verse 2, we have come to worship him. That's it. We have come to worship a child king. And they journeyed till they found him. And the Bible says when they did, they fell down before him. They humbled themselves and worshiped him. These powerful, influential men, when they came into the presence of the Christ child, 
they bowed before him. Now get this. These kingmakers have entered the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Think about that. Think about that. And they gave him worship. And in that act of obeisance, they were declaring to everyone, no matter who was watching, that Jesus was king and he's worthy to be worshipped. It cost them their testimony. These wise, educated, sophisticated men laid aside all pretense, laid aside their pride, and they gave their adoration and their worship to the Lord Jesus Christ. Just an infant. They fell down before that little boy and they honored him as their king. The kingmakers had found the true king. The words they spoke in verse 2, the gifts they gave in verse 11, declared their faith as Jesus Christ in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And folks, don't miss this. They literally gave themselves away at the feet of Jesus. Here we are. And that's what he expects of us. We must come to the place in our lives where we realize that all we have and all we are belong to him. And we give it back to him in humble adoration. It's yours, Lord. He simply wants us to give ourselves away. Think about that. Give ourselves away to him. And my friend, there is no greater form of worship in all the world. Jesus said those who seek to save their life will lose it. But those who lose their life for my sake, Jesus said, will find life. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Paul has taken 11 chapters to show us all that God has done for us through Christ. And Paul says now, because of that, I beg you. I'm begging you, Paul says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's what God wants. So I guess the question tonight, 
If I were to ask this, are there any wise men or wise women today? I'm glad to say there are. Men and women who come to worship God. Men and women who are are willing to lay it all on the altar of sacrifice. And it's those folks, those who are wise, women and men, who are truly engaged in sacrificial worship with the King of Kings. They worship with their time, they worship with their treasure, and you worship with your testimony. And I must say that my, my, my desire would be that that would describe everyone who claims Christ, but it doesn't. We know it doesn't. It should. And I think you'll agree I want to worship Him. I want to love Him. I want to give Him the best I can give Him. And I want to give Him the best that I am. And I want to take it and lay it all at His feet for His glory. And worship Him as King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's stand together. I know it's true in my life, and I'm assuming it's true in your life. There have been times when all worship has slacked off. And there have been times when God has spoken to us about our worship. And the question I need to make sure I'm taking care of, what do I do about that? And more than anything else, I want my worship to be real and genuine. I want to give him all he deserves. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful tonight for the King of kings and Lord of lords. Truly, Lord, you are worthy of our worship. And no matter how we try, our worship will never be excessive because you are the worthy one. I pray, Father, you would draw us nearer to your heart every day. And I pray, Lord, that we will learn not just to worship corporately, but also to worship privately. Because, Lord, there are joys that we can only experience through worship. We love you tonight, Lord, and we give you the praise. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.